Hi there, my name is Corey Dundon. And I'm Michelle Maunder. And you are listening to Spirited Conversations, engaging and elevating pediatric occupational therapists. A joint collaboration between SEED, Pediatric Services and Developmental FX. Each week you'll hear from myself and Michelle as we nerd out with Tracy Stackhouse. Just a note before we start, Spirited Conversations is for informational purposes only. With that, let's jump in to today's episode. This is very, very exciting for us. Welcome back. We apologize for the delay that we have had. But hello, Michelle. Hello, Tracy. Hey, Corey. Hey, Trace. <laughs> Hey, you guys, it's so great to be back with you um, and to know you're safe from several months of lockdown in your country from COVID. And, you know, we've been plugging along in um, COVID land in our own different way, as all all of the countries around the world have approached this in unique ways. But I'm glad you're safe and healthy and And the reason that we're kind of back and so happy to be together is we have had a bit of a hiatus that was unexpected. So we're happy to be back to our spirited conversation. I promise my wedding was not that long. (laughs) People be like, wow, how long does it take a person to get married? (laughs) Um, Yes, no, we're very, very excited. And the other, I guess it really ties nicely into what we're going to talk about today because we really wanted to sort of dive into the social realm. We started to talk a little bit about it at the end of the last episode and we totally have felt the tax on our social systems that COVID has brought around for all of us. So it's kind of a nice segue, even though it's been, it's been not so nice to have a break, but it's cool. It's going to be cool to sort of pull that into today's episode. And I think it helps us understand um, how tricky it is. Corey's got some other news. Did you want to show us? (laughs) So, yes, I am expecting a baby in February. So not only have we been isolated (laughs) and not been able to see each other and work together to build this podcast, we sit beside each other as we record. So we haven't been able to do that. But I also haven't seen in real life her baby bump growing. And so now we're getting back together and we're seeing Trace after a little while as well. I'm just so excited that I want to touch her baby. I want to cuddle her. I don't know even if we're allowed to do that yet. But anyway, so it's just interesting in that um, coming back together and seeing each other. We've both really had to look and go, oh, what's alive? And oh, I'm so excited to see you in your new baby form that it's just made me impulsively want to do things that I might not have hadn't had we not had such a gap in seeing each other yeah and you know that drive for connection and social contact includes that touch contact so we've been missing and I'm missing you guys because I'm obviously far away from you but I have the same urge I wish that I could just be in physical connection and touch contact with you Um, And I feel like the warmth and respect that we do share in our collegiality is um, really, you know, full of the depths of connection. And connection is something that we value and we bring to our therapy um, because we just know how central it is. And, And so I do agree with you that this 
COVID era has has kind of brought that front and center in a different way than any of us have ever known before, really. Totally agree. And I, it, this will probably help us talk about just as human beings. I know we mentioned um, reciprocity um, as something that we think about and that we look for and that we sometimes are trying to help support in sessions. But I guess as a human being going through this experience, we can feel how it's so hard to get in relationship and be reciprocal when you've got this big overarching experience that's making all of us quite stressed. So I guess that will help us move into the part we want to talk about, which is how does our capacity to regulate allow us to be social? Um, And that's kind of, you know, really interesting to us as occupational therapists because not many people come at the social realm from that perspective. And, and lots of people, I think it's really, really starting to get a lot more common, but it's, it's really, it'll be really good to talk about that today as that feels a little bit more unique to our skill set and how we allow people to connect in the world and engage in their occupations. Like you said, Tracy, like we have to do that in a social way because we're social beings. Yeah, well, and it's also, yeah, it, and these two topics are so deeply neurologically intertwined because, you know, some of the a variety of different scientists all come to this kind of similar conclusion that regulation is supported by relationship through co-regulation but it's also what allows us to become the most deeply connected to each other so it's sort of like the bookend of regulation is actually relationship and the co-regulation sort of envelope that we regulate through is very deeply social and then it allows us to weather the hardest parts of life which end up being sort of social emotional at the end of the day so yeah it's like a full circle and and so that full circle in my head feels pretty tangible but I'm wondering if that is if we should like deconstruct Mm. that more or if that or how do you guys see that in a in a way that feels alive to you as you're clinically thinking I think you bring up something really interesting Tracy in that you see the capacities of individuals you know that you work with but also just general human beings in your life you see them in a really complex holistic way that you can see this really clear connection between regulation and social capacities or us as social beings you see those two being like this almost infinite circle almost just as a as a I don't know like as a standard for you now whereas if I think back to when I first started learning about this, there's no way that I intuitively thought regulation and social went together. This is another thing that I often hear. We need to help them self-regulate, but it's very, very, because it's so complex, it's easy to forget the, how do we do that through co-regulation and then allow, I don't know. You and know, why are we, we doing it? Why are we regulating kids? Yeah. <laughs> like, why is that important? 
Yeah, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure how we ref, how we dive into that and help see what Tracy's sort of like, got the answers. And she's ready to go. <laughs> like what's intuitive for you, Tracy? Right? Is and how do we? Because I know if I think back to when I first started learning about this, there's no way that I intuitively thought regulation and social went together. And rhythm right, and rhythm. Right. Yeah. But now I am like, it's mm-hmm. so in like, yeah, that's super intuitive and it makes sense. Yeah. I love, I love those questions and I don't know that I have the answer, <laughs> but I, I think I can have some perspectives that are, um, you know, kind of informed by the science that I just never stop reading for whatever reason. So then um, I can, you know, try to illuminate it from others um, who are who are sharing all of the wisdom. So I think that the the first I love the question that you said, Michelle, why do we need kids to be regulated? <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> yeah. um, and I almost, I almost kind of want to like dance around that a little bit before we talk about the cruel yeah. regulation, because in a deep kind of, not just in interpersonal neurobiological frameworks, but generally the way the brain works, if the circuitry is regulated, if the firing patterns are regulated, then the opportunity for the fine-tuning of those networks, for the regularity of those networks in terms of their on and off patterns, all of that starts to be a possibility. And it and it and then and then all of the fine-tuning happens. So on a very real basis, just in in a brain cell, in a in a neural circuit, you have to have some level of regularity. And regularity provides this foundation for comparing on and off, do it again, repeat it, what function is that repetition serving? And then from there you start to, from patterns, you get to build the circuitry. And so on a very basic level, regularity is kind of one way of thinking about regulation. But really what we're talking about more is this really giant set of neural networks. You know, 85% of our brain is engaged in regulation. So we have basic physiological regulation, like just of our blood Mm -hmm. pressure, of our breath, of our heart, of our sort of, and then our postural system is regulated, you know, but then it moves, so it moves from physiology and sensory motor levels of regulation into these more exquisite advanced systems that allow us to um, respond to light and day, organize sleep and wake cycles, start to organize arousal, regulate our responses to things that Mm. activate us or that deactivate us, that make us feel um, engaged, that make us feel wary, that make us feel threat or safety. So all of that has to be regulated. And then our attention has to be regulated. And then all of our thinking Mm. has to be regulated and our, our behavior has to be regulated. And it has to be organized. So there's tears and tears and tears of what is happening. And all of that in human beings and in other animals depends and expects to be organized through connection, through relationship. 
So when we talk about regulation being connected to co-regulation, it's a really profound circuitry that is totally dependent on the nurturance and structure and support of another. And whenever the edges of our regulation get pushed, we have to rely on what we find as the secure base and the holding space. And all of that comes from co-regulation and attachment. So it's a really, it's a huge system that we're talking about. I feel like you blow my mind all the time, Tracy. <laughs> just, just because I, I think I'm always, I'm always so impressed by how much, I don't know how much you're able to verbalize what feels intuitive. And for you, it's all founded on neurology and science and a knowing of deeply and deeply learning about these things and how they come together. But it's really hard to verbalize some of these concepts and to explain them to other people, which is why you blow my mind all the time. <laughs> well, you're you're sweet. But here's the thing. I think... I, I often come back to, you know, in the 1990s or whatever, um, I was, I kind of was drawn to this notion of clinical reasoning in occupational therapy. And one of the phrases that Mattingly and Fleming use is that you, in clinical reasoning, you take the tacit knowledge and you make it obvious. You make it clear and explicit and something you can talk about. So I feel like in the last, you know, couple decades, like that's my real passion is trying to help clinicians, educators, parents put into words what it is that needs to be understood. You know, when we understand children, when we understand our work, we're really going to achieve helping people to come into the fullness of who they are. When we can't name it, I think that we um, we can sort of chase it around a little bit. And it's so interesting. I have a, a colleague here in Colorado, Shelley Lane. She's a professor and a well-regarded occupational therapist and such an amazing colleague. But she says that, you know, when therapists are uncertain and they can't name things, what happens is sometimes their needle gets stuck, like on the old record player, you know, and the needle kind of gets stuck on a on a particular groove. And so she and I feel this, you know, similar passion and dedication to helping therapists unstick their mm. needles, you know. And part of the way you do that is by being able to say, what is it that we're talking about here? And in occupational therapy, we always are connecting everything back to that big human mm. adaptation of engagement and meaningful participation. Mm. In our essence, you know, the more we're able to feel regulated and connected and in meaning, the more we bring that to our, our the individuals that we're treating and providing therapy for. So for me, it is full circle and it's about connecting the dots and it's about seeing the neural networks as 
really alive systems that are connected, these dots, these threads that connect. So, you know, in the spirit tool that the spirited conversations is kind of, you know, derived from this tool, this clinical reasoning tool. And in that tool, we literally connect the dots. We take strings and markers in our hands and our minds and we tangibly manipulate the connections and that's what we're doing here in our conversation is we're connecting these threads so I think that it's important yeah and you're helping us bring back to the neurology because whilst it that you know and what I explained is my personal experience I want to make sure that that's just not my rave and that I'm not you know, imposing my embodied feeling and experience of this on others. And so knowing, you know, you sharing the neurology and thinking, oh, okay, there's good reason, Michelle. There's a valid reason for why you're feeling and experiencing and going for what I'm going for. And and there's soundness in um, validity in finding it for others and helping them find their own um, groove with regulation, social and, you know, emotional connection, I guess. It made me think, especially earlier, Tracy, when you were talking about all those levels of regulation that we kind of need to then be in the world itself. And um, I was drawn to the last episode we were talking about the child that I was working with and how hard it was for him or how hard it was for both of us to get into connection and just some sort of back and forth interaction I was just felt like he was just going about the room um doing things to try and help his own nervous system but I, I it almost felt like it wasn't hitting the mark so it, it felt like he was trying to self-regulate but just couldn't quite get there and then in finding his rhythm using the kazoos of using breath of getting it inverted of rocking him in time to the rhythm that he was singing then we were able to move towards being more social and so that I guess for me it's trying to figure out that for each child that we work with what's the recipe to allow the social piece to unfold and when you do figure out the recipe what happens well you had a shared experience before you were just two humans in the same space and you weren't really interacting or having a sense of togetherness and then you facilitated him by lots of means that is really complicated for him to easily get and you had a togetherness, I guess, which he responded to differently and and, and kept coming back for more and that's why we want to keep being interested in this area so that we can allow him to come back for more and experience that more with more ease, I guess, and then allows his capacities to unfold Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because when we're working with children like this, sometimes what happens is that their inability to kind of settle into the moment for any of the uh, attuned, loving, kind people around them to have any of those moments kind of stick enough um, and land enough for them that it's repeatable in a way that... um, that starts to build. And so I think the unique skills that we bring in from our training and from 
the different theory bases that we offer, they kind of allow for this deeper level of attunement that is so informed by how do I just hold this moment? How do I just exaggerate that best adaptation that that child is kind of showing us and it's peeking at us, but it's hard to grab onto. And once you can kind of identify that and see that, and then, you know, the child gets this feeling of like, wait, you just got me. And that felt pretty interesting. And I want you to do that again. And I want you to do that again. And as we find that formula around what how do we find the 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 piece the elements that allow for that that opening of connection that then deepens and it it really does take a real skilled level of us being able to tune in and and kind of really feel their nervous system so that's what you were doing Corey you were really tuned in and really feeling like feeling his attempts that weren't weren't really successful and that's that's a frustrating place for any of us on the planet to be where we're trying to regulate but it's nothing's working and when somebody mm. tunes into us and really really feels that with us and really understands that that's what we're trying to do and then allows for it to be more the attempt to be more successful the the relief that you feel and the connection that you feel from that, that on some deep level, that's kind of what co-regulation really is all about because Mm -hmm. it really is co it's the both pieces. It's both partners um, responding to and recovering together. And then we're moving on that journey sort of together. So there's this shared embodied experience of co-regulation that, that drives that, but it really comes from this deep base of, of being able to tune in, like literally tune in in a really, <laughs> in a really, in a d- deep way. And, you know, clinicians are often able to tune in in a different way than sometimes other people in a person's life. You know, not that parents don't attune because they often really do. But they're living this experience with this child that's bigger than just that moment. And I think we have this kind of gift as clinicians of just being in the present moment in a different way. And then that attunement that really is very vibratory in nature. We feel the vibration of the kid's system mm-hmm. and we're kind of holding that and we're showing them the the direction toward, you know, if we can get that into a different synchrony, into a different rhythmicity, into a little bit more of a repeatable pattern, regularity, that that starts to feel really good and organizing to the nervous system. And then when the nervous system is happy, it it starts to unfold its capacities, right? Mm. Instead of shutting off, it opens to. And that that's mm. a really powerful process. Mm. Mm. Well, after that process, like after that initial process, it allowed for some imitation that I'd never seen like prior to that. Right. So it was like we could actually be with, like you Mm. said, Michelle, we weren't just two human beings in the same space. And I don't know, this is just my guess or my take on, on that period of time, but 
I had a feeling that he kind of goes, oh, you get my rhythm now? Because he would join for a time and then he would have to take breaks and that's okay. And and being able to do some of my own <laughs> regulatory mm. strategies, just knowing that his rhythm in the world was was that. And if I could respect that and like you said, Tracy, kind of hold that, then he would come back and we would do more. And so it was kind of just trying to, in moments, continue to stretch that and build that. Just coming back is huge because he was not, I was not getting any of that prior mm. to that time. Mm. Like I was, it felt like I was chasing rather than I was holding and he was coming in and out as he was able to. I'm working with a kiddo now um, who is just learning to trust that I am a tool with which um, I can offer some of those, um, you know, some of that regulation, I guess. So he will come over to me and, you know, bump into me and invert and know that I um, will facilitate him to invert with some pressure through his head. Um, he looks better and he comes to me, but I'm not yet getting the glimmers. I'm not yet mm. getting the, we're going to back and forth with the kazoo You're not yet. getting any imitation. I'm not getting imitation. So, um, but, but he's coming too and he knows that I'm a source of regulation, but we're not. Um, so I guess we're moving towards the social realm, but but it's super fragile and if he's, you know, pacing and running backwards and forwards and I playfully get in the road a bit, um, he doesn't know what to do with that. I'm just an object in the road. Like he doesn't look at me and think, oh, you're being cheeky, Michelle. I see what you're doing there or or want for me to be there. Um, so, yeah, it, it starts pretty fragile, Corey. And I think your experience that you explained um, has demonstrated how quickly for some – I know it took you a while to work that out. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Um, and then it did allow that capacity. But, um, yeah, I'm – I haven't yet got there with this kiddo and it's not just like, whoa, there's another world out there and I want to be part of it. And, you know, there's just a lot of fragility for some. So I think I'm just going to work, you know, I'm going for a glimmer of not just looking at me as an object, but just, or a tool to help him invert fully. But I, I'm next looking for that. Oh, you know, just that spark, I guess, in his mm. eye that I'm human and, and that we can have this thing together that's not just a transaction. Mm. I mean, the imitation piece is really interesting mm. because I know you've talked about that, Tracy, as being one of the like foundational pieces, not just for social engagement, but like for praxis, you know, starting to imitate people. But it, in terms of once I'd figured out the recipe for, it, it wasn't, it didn't actually take that long from that point on for, for me to start to see really different capacities unfold. Mm. And so for, I guess, Michelle, in my mind, your kiddo is, you're still figuring out the recipe, mm. you know? Like I'm still like, filling out the recipe yeah. and he, there's such fragility yeah. in that regulation system across all those, all those capacities, the attention, you know, what not make arousal action that, um, yeah, I'm just going through the really early stages of that process yes. to get consult regulation in a consistent, trustworthy way so that that will open up. And I, I guess, Michelle, in a way, it seems like you're trying to it's, it's like you're trying to get hold of this piece that Tracy was talking about where co-regulation is more powerful in that. You, you, you know, he, it seems like he's trying to, at this point, 
do a similar thing to what my little friend was doing, which is trying to, he's trying to get regulated. He's missing the mark all the time. Mm. And, and, and it's not with another. He's using no. tools. It's not with another. And from what Trace has said with the neurobiology, it might get him partway there, but it's the with another that's going to um, stick and hold him. Stick and hold, I guess. Yeah. Is, that, is that right, Trace? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's also, I think, reflective of, you know, for one child, you know, kind of establishing that when when you follow my rhythm, when we're in rhythm together, that that starts to unfold something and I'm going to really stay there with you. For another child, that getting to that level of exchanged reciprocal kind of rhythmicity is a lot uh, harder path. Mm-hmm. But for both of the stories, what you're talking about is just the really beautiful, intense work of sort of trusting that child's nervous mm-hmm. system and ch- trusting development, basically, and holding that enough that you you get to the place where you repeat the pattern. Yes. And, it's the repeating. You know, and re- <laughs> it's the repeating. Yes. It is so much about repeating, right? <laughs> Yeah, Pete and repeat, as we say. Yeah, because <laughs> Michelle, I feel like for your story, have you you probably felt like you haven't been able to repeat something that felt like it it had this real, like I don't know. I'm trying to describe this feeling, this feeling internally. You know, I think it's not. <laughs> it doesn't feel yet social. I think that we've got this, um, a number of things that he, um, you know, when I was sitting in a swing with him on me uh, in, you know, little legs into flexion and giving a little vibration through the feet into flexion, he was chewing away on his chewy. Um, you know, it was beautiful. We had, um, therapeutic listings, um, on as well. So it was just lovely, but so we were together and he wasn't moving away from that. And I guess that was really my point is we were just starting to be together, but it wasn't juicy and it's not juicy and sparkly and reciprocal yet. It's just a, we're being together. I totally, I, cause I, I'm trying to resonate with the feeling that I get in a session. Uh, cause I've, t- I've hundred percent have been in the exact mm. same situation, right. Where I, I feel like, well, this kid's really enjoying themselves, but I don't feel part of it mm. you, you, or, or not even enjoying, but yeah, that like, I can tell that this experience is helpful for this child, but I, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm just Over here. there. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm here and I'm, I'm helping them achieve that experience because I might be moving the swing or I might be providing the input, but there's not a um oh like you and me and this and this is what I f- like this is how I enjoy this and it's a being with you that helps me feel this way rather than just creating like you said Tracy it's not just the pure cold delivery of sensation with rhythm it's you know it's matching the relationship to the child and we're trying like sometimes it feels like we're just trying to give we're trying to get them connected with the delivery of of input Mm. in whatever way Mm. but but we're not able to get the connection there and I'm not sure and you probably said you kind of hit the nail on the head um, Michelle with the fragility Mm. because for your little friend it seems like 
that those pieces that you were mentioning, Tracy, like being physiologically regulated, you know, regulated in your body and then attentionally regulated, all those pieces, if we haven't kind of, if we haven't got those together, if the individual capacity to manage those things is so tricky then it's so mm. hard to do both, baby. I don't know. Is that right, Tracy? Yeah, that's totally right. I think, well, there's so many important pieces here. You know, the the hope and the intention that we hold to have that shared reciprocal exchange where your experience, little beautiful wonder of a child that I'm with and myself, when we have that shared moment, it feels so good. And we know we kind of are moving in a direction toward that. But what what I think is important is as you're kind of holding the space of the fragility as you kind of are, because you feel that, is to not be longing for the connection that's at that higher level because that that isn't quite available to the child yet. We know we're on a journey to that, but it's so much about in that moment allowing the regulation that they did get to be the actual glimmer. The glimmer doesn't have to be affective and social initially. It can just be, wow, look what just happened. He found his midline. He found sustained four repetitions of movement and allowed me to be here with him. And that is the first step. So physiological and then sensory motor basis of regulation is a precursor to that shared social affect the and the reciprocity that is going to come. Those are precursors to imitation and, and precursors to higher level joint attention and other others you know, skills that are going to unfold as they do, but you don't, you can't force them in. Um, if you do force them in, it, it feels like a force to the child. And, and we're not about force, right? We're about support and structure and engagement and nurturance and warmth and unfolding of the capacity and supporting it to become. And then, and then what happens is that for each child, their individual profile um, is going to unfold in a different way. So the kind of pieces we can kind of predict and anticipate and support and scaffold, but we can't force them. And if we start to, we can give off an energy that actually contributes to the fragility. So I think one of the hardest things about staying in that kind of um, developmental space is just the patience that it takes to hold it. Gosh, that's a nice reminder because I'm not, um, I'm greedy for where I want us to go. We are. <laughs> um, yeah. So hang in there, Michelle. Hang in there. You're doing a good job. And um, yeah, we, we all, we all do that. Thanks, Trace. Slow down, Michelle. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's. I think there's that that phrase that is "go slow to go fast." Um, so these kids help us to remember to go slow to go fast, and as we as we take that time to deepen 
the regulatory framework, um, it supports more and more and more complexity when it can. So you have to really hang there. And um, But, you know, when you get to imitation, there's so much good stuff that happens there. And it's one of the most um, kind of incredible gift that keeps on giving once your brain discovers imitation. We use it, we all use it constantly for the rest of our lives. And um, yeah, so it's, you know, we can always talk more about imitation, but, but for now, I think this whole concept of how co-regulation supports regulation and how, you know, one begets the other, this reciprocity within that system is, is part of what allows for reciprocity in general. And that, that's kind of a cool, profound thing about, about this system. Trace, I think that's what is un, a little uncomfortable for me, is about that reciprocity. Um, uh, it's not feeling um, that for me. I, I think I feel like I'm um, facilitating that beautiful regulated state, but I'm not I'm not feeling in it yet. And so it doesn't really feel like a traditional view of of backwards and forwards, a serve and return, um, an evenness, a flow to it. Um, So do you want to talk a bit more about that? Like what what am I (laughs) – what's happening for me and why am I uncomfortable? Yeah. (laughs) Therapy for Michelle. Yeah. I think – I love that actually because – Here's here's what's interesting. There are degrees. It's not like reciprocity is one one fully baked function. Like it's that it's always this rich, fully me, fully you in full exchange back and forth with mm. multiple exchanges. You know where it starts is just in the very early stages of even like really in utero. Um, Corey, Woo-hoo. I know. Sorry. Hello, hello, little <laughs> love. Um, but there's this kind of um, the the reciprocity actually begin, begins in this deeper kind of knowing of whatever your experience is is totally okay, and here's how I'm showing up in this moment. And as we just allow and honor whatever that person happens to bring to the table in that moment um, and let that be reciprocal, actually, that's where reciprocity starts from. So it doesn't start always from this really rich trove of fully baked capacity. And I want to kind of flash forward because sometimes, you know, right now we're thinking about it in this precious little child that you're, you know, you're providing some service for, but even like in our own adult moments, um, I know with my husband, sometimes I'll come home and I'm, I still have 14 things on my mind. Um, and he is ready for me to be fully present with him. And if I can't adjust and let go of the 14 things and really be fully present and or if he can't adjust and let me settle in um then we're not going to have the a shared reciprocal exchange that's exactly matched so what this brings up for me is that you know sometimes we talk about how um equity doesn't mean equal 
And reciprocity doesn't mean that we're each bringing the same fullness to the plate every time. But what it means is that the, the me that's available is here for you and the you that's available is here. And as we start to exchange, that becomes richer and fuller and bigger. It's a bigger, the circumference of it in a way grows because as I arrive home and then I connect with my husband, the connection actually allows me to let go of the other agenda and be more available and let my circle grow, right? So you guys both have that same, so we know reciprocity isn't like one thing, it's not one shape and it's not one depth, it's it's moldable and it's responsive. So the whole point of it is that it's responsive. Just like sensory response is the response recovery, reciprocity is what is available and then how does that response deepen in the next moment. So the deepening may not be all the way to what you bring to the situation, but but it's what's available. So matching it at that level. And I think, Corey, as you were treating and talking about the, the little guy last time, your attunement to wait, I need to just be with him the way he is, that shifted it for you, right? Because you you realized, oh, it's more about following where his nervous system's at and then going there. Um, so I think it's um, holding the fullness of the expectation at a high level, but allowing in the moment to be exactly where they're mm. at. So I'm going to try and reword that and feel like if, if I've kind of got the essence of what you're saying. So by being with and figuring out what his nervous system, I guess by using my therapeutic use of self, adjusting my, my nervous system and where I was at, to match what he needed in that moment. And I used other things to help me do that. That then allowed him to come into connection. But if I wasn't able to hold, if I didn't hold my own nervous system to match where he needed, then he couldn't have returned the serve. And so I'm guessing as I manage myself to do that, then is, are you saying that then he will then be able to return more often instead of, I don't know, it's not a right well, match and disengage? A, like, well, it allows the possibility and you're going to honour whatever he does. <laughs> he'll tune in or, he'll, you know, move away or he'll move on to another capacity or uh, uh, that's what I'm getting, that we yeah, no, we have to suspend. I'm carrying all this. I want us to go there rather than truly putting all those my agendas aside for where I want his social capacities to move towards and and, and be with what he's offering me which was staying with me and that's right and then it's also attuning to what is the quality that allows for either uh, an interactive oscillatory rhythmic exchange to start to happen. So is it on that mm. level? Is it physical? Is it vestibular? Is it rhythm? Mm. Is mm. it, you know, is it tactile? Is it, is it positional? Is it 
affective. So for each child, there's going to be an opportunity that shows itself. Mm. And then as you attune to that and the child wants to repeat that, as you start to do that, what happens is you build the the repetition, mm. the cycle, and the trust that that's going to be reliable. And then from there, you can start to offer, oh, another curious expansion mm. of that or another, hmm, maybe, you know, maybe let's do that on a repeated rhythm that's a little slower mm. or a little faster, what happens there. So we're going to play with temporal qualities with spatial mm. qualities, with mutuality, with, you know, deepening that. Some, for some kids, you can, you can do it through affect. For some, you have to stick really with sensory or motor. Um, there's not one way, but it's the child's way. What works for them? What, and so that's what you're attuning to, and you're both really exquisite at that. But the invitation is to just go slow, and tune into the quality that is the most salient for them. And trust that as you repeat that, it's going to allow you to add layers and complexity and, and then move it in the direction of mutuality. Move it in the direction of reciprocity. But in a soft way, um, not in a overt, forceful way. Yeah. I had a thought, though, because I know you were talking about reciprocity not always being equal between people. So in my situation, what I was just describing, is that me doing the adjusting of myself and is that the unequalness of it? Is that what you mean? Because I'm more, as the therapist, I'm more able to move my nervous system to match his. And so that you know is that the, is that what you mean by it being slightly unequal yeah no that's exactly right but i think it's also like when you have a child who has who's struggling more with the unfolding of this capacity um like the kiddo that michelle is talking about um the richness of what he's offering her doesn't feel exactly reciprocal to her and what i'm suggesting is that for him that might be really highly reciprocal so allow it to be instead of needing it to hit a different benchmark. Mm. Right. Mm. Right. So it's reciprocal but not social. Is that what you mean? Or it's um, – I guess how I'm interpreting it is I'm not bringing the fullness of me yes. to this relationship. Like I I am in my intention to be with him but mm. I'm – I can't bring the absolute fullness of me. You know, I can bring it to you. You can handle me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, we handle each other's fullness and richness and yeah. depths. And so that's how I'm receiving that message. Yeah. You know, I love the deep kind of greedy, passionate desire for the full richness <laughs> of, of whatever it is to be. But what's interesting is that not everybody's nervous system has that same Every, every nervous system has a need to be social. Not every nervous system has a need for it to be that juicy. But that's why this work has been so awesome because um, the kids have taught me that in the most exquisite ways because you, uh, I have to do that dialing up and dialing down because there are some children that and people, like you said, Michelle, that revel in that experience with you 
of just being deeply connected and buzzing. That's what it feels like. It feels like my nervous system is like buzzing with this shared excitement and joy around some sort of experience. Whereas, you know, some other people are like, go slow to go fast feels so much nicer in a different way, That's right? exactly. Like, and I think that that buzzing for each person is going to feel different. Yeah. For one person, it feels like warm and you know, deeply proximal touch, all those things. And for another person, they get the same enrichment from a different kind of experience. And so we have to allow for that full range. But in this developmental story of this little guy, his his burgeoning mm. I come to you is as much as he can mm do right now and it may be actually as much as he can kind of handle right now too so as we build his window of tolerance and we build his capacity it will deepen for him Mm. in the way it does for him and it doesn't have to be um the way that you might for another Mm. another person right Mm. so yeah i i think equanimity is um an interesting concept to apply to each of our human experiences. It's so useful to make sense of this for me, myself and other adults, because when you say that, I know that to be true. You know, we're all not, we're not all cut the same and, and nor do I want us to be. And that's, you know, the richness of life and all my friends are vastly different. You know, they rarely get together because they're like, what, why are you friends? You know, like they're just very different. And so it's, uh, um, to understand this, sometimes I have to come back to me and how I perceive the world and others and then go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I get that to then think, well, of course that's appropriate for all the children and families we meet as well. I've never parceled out reciprocity, not necessarily needing to be social. Mm. So true, like in a way, because you might just roll a ball towards a child and, and then, you know, they might pick it up and in a way that's reciprocity in terms of like I just did something and then you responded and I know there's still a social element to that but um the capacity I guess how complexly social that is will will vary for each so mm. for your little one it's like it's not in any way complex all he's doing is just coming proximally towards mm. you and, and physically reducing the distance between you and you are picking up that signal of mm. I know what you you're trying to get out mm. out of this right now but it's not it doesn't feel in any way deeply social because it's no. way back down at a lower developmental level at this point but we're trying to do the work of holding in the place where we need to be so that we can eventually get to where that mm. place is it's just hard to do as a therapist but it's the mark of a good therapist and you see it often when you see other therapists treating your nervous system almost feels soothed by the connection mm. of the two people that's right and it's it's one of the yeah like such the privilege of our work you know totally um, yeah and you know i i know that i i can remember one time many years ago i was treating this little boy and he had come in from out of town and had been struggling a lot. He was quite young, three and a half years old. And, you know, the the family had had a really hard time connecting with him, soothing him, organizing mm-hmm. his daily routines. And 
Um, so I'm, I was doing this treatment session with him and, and we ended up, you know, spending long moments together, just sort of getting into rhythm together. And I remember feeling a little insecure because I was a younger therapist at the time and, um, he was quite a challenging little guy and I was, and they had come in from out of town and all the things. And so I was feeling some pressure and. I was like, no, you cannot be pressured. You just have to be present with this child. And so, and then I remember after really, you know, we were in this pillow together and and he was sort of allowing me to just be in physical touch with him and rhythm. And we were just doing that for a while. And in the back of my head, I thought, should I be doing something a little harder than this now? Mm. Because he's kind of got this. And then I caught out of the corner of my eye his mom sitting in the corner just weeping. Mm. <laughs> right? And then I was like, okay, I, 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 but I got it from her affect yeah. that that was. And when I could process that with her, you know, she had never really seen him settle into mm. a routine. And I think just trusting that, that when you settle in and you help the nervous system feel regulated feel regular there's a lot of there's that's where the power comes from so most of our theories have regulation as the base for other unfolding Mm. and that's the very reason why um so i think just trusting i say this all the time to you guys trust the theories trust yourselves you're doing the hard work and it is beautiful profound hard work so what a cool thing to get to talk about So in, in spirited conversations, you know, lots of times we talk about things in kind of a theoretical way and then a really applied way. And we dance between those two places. Um, but what I love about, about these conversations and the feedback that we get about people listening to these conversations is that, um, the the science and the development kind of give us a, a bit of a sketched roadmap. But it's not so much the map, it's more like the compass, right? So we kind of have a compass and then the child actually has the map. Mm. And the child's map is um, something that we attune to and that we continue to make sure that the compass is in the mm. right direction. So I kind of think that that's what these conversations are about, is allowing clinicians and parents to trust the compass and to read the map together. I don't know. That's fantastic, um, Tracy. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's what the work's about. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful work. And we, I think we should just pause on how much we feel the privilege and the beauty of the work. Absolutely. It is just such a privilege um, to be um, listening to you and hearing um, you help unpack that theory for us and integrate that um, and that we need to just keep coming back. You know, there's Mm. times which clearly I raise that kiddo impromptu because there's something in it that I'm missing yet, which is why it's like, ah, let's talk about that. So it's such a... Um, honour to be able to do both Tracy, have you help me understand the theory and improve my practice um, 
so that I can better understand that child's map and that I'm not going to be a source of, you know, a road bump for him. <laughs> Speed bump. <laughs> Speed bump. Road bumps. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Good to be Beautiful. back, guys. See you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Seed, Paediatric Services and Developmental FX. For more information, please go to our show notes on our website, spiritedconversationspodcast.com or catch us on our Seed and Developmental FX Facebook or Insta pages. So grateful to have you with us for this episode. Take care and we'll see you next time.